he's not saying you're free. You're just free from religious rules. He's saying you are a citizen of heaven and that your one allegiance, your ultimate allegiance is there. And because of that, it is always um, mediated through your faith. And that if you somehow capitulate to human influence on this earth, you have committed treason against heaven. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex, Kent, and Nathan, are seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover what is uh, the true and wonderful faith. And we're in a series, Recovering Faith. This is episode three. We know you guys are busy, so we're going to dive right in. Point number one, we must be saved from social control through human authority and cultural conformity. Let me say it again. We talk, we're talking about what the gospel saves us from, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. We must be saved from social control, which, which exerts itself on us through human authority and cultural conformity. Yes. Awesome. All right. So human, conformi- or human authority and cultural conformity right. are the means of social control, not the means right. by which we are saved from. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens when okay. you write something. Uh, yeah. yeah. Throw something together. But yeah. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about this, right? That Paul is weird um, about not being from a human being. Uh, in Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, he says, I'm an apostle. I'm not sent from men or a man. And that he has this kind of redundancy there. And, um, you know, it must be important because before he even says sent by Jesus, he says who he's not sent by. Mm-hmm. Um, and by men or a man. Right. It does seem redundant. Is it, uh, yeah. is it men or Amen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't a man be included under the subset of men? I would. Think, and you're yeah. and you're suggesting that that distinction in his mind is is a re- he's basically subtly referring to on the one hand human authority and on the other hand cultural conformity. Is right. That what you're yes. Guessing. Yes, that is what I'm suggesting. I'm not. And I, you know, I'm not getting it all from that verse. Obviously, I, I would hope. But as the Galatian letter unfolds, it seems that. The issue, that, so we know that the Galatians were trying to keep some elements of the Old Testament law, specifically that they were being, uh, cir- they were submitting to circumcision, at least some of them, and um, which is pretty serious. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, but Paul seems to be, and, and I think this is what a lot of people uh, maybe miss, or sounds arrogant to say that, I guess, but uh, at any rate, um, that the, that the, problem underneath that is is a need to be a part of a group um, or to come under a human authority to be somehow legitimized or endorsed by other humans because if you can imagine here's paul coming into town by himself with a message Mm -hmm. and these people accept that message now they're no longer pagans and the jews don't accept them and paul left town Mm -hmm. so now it's you and your faith that's all you got and paul's like uh yeah and it, we, I don't know if we can appreciate what Paul was asking of these people, what, what the gospel required of these people, that they are now alienated from their home, their family, in some cases, their religious pasts, their traditions of their fathers. Um, they are kind of persona non grata with the government. They don't belong in the synagogue and they don't belong in the pagan temple. That's a lot. And it's a lot to take in. And they're being, and, the, and some people are coming along and they're putting pressure on them to um, 
follow the Jewish law. And that is actually appealing to them because of its appeal to uh, cultural conformity. Yeah. Uh, like you can fit in and you can belong if you do these things. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and human authority, because he will go back later uh, as he as the book of Galatians develops, uh, he begins to he'll he'll kind of go at his autobiography. He'll say, look, those guys in Jerusalem didn't contribute anything to me. I didn't even talk to them. And then he says that our mother isn't Jerusalem on earth, but Jerusalem in heaven. So in, in that, and if you're, uh, I, I don't know, whatever your, whatever your religious tradition is, it's, it's, we seem to have this need to have an earthly headquarters for our religious faith. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, it is not Jerusalem. And so if it's not Jerusalem, where is it? Right. <laughs> um, that, that he has, he has, it, I don't know if, if we can fully appreciate just how radical and subversive the Galatian letter is. He's not saying you're free, you're just free from religious rules. He's saying you are a citizen of heaven and that your one allegiance, your ultimate allegiance is there. And because of that, it is always um, mediated through your faith. And that if you somehow capitulate to human influence on this earth, you have committed treason against heaven. Wow. Right. <laughs> well, this is, yeah. I, I mean, this has hit me. I, I, I've just been kind of writing about some of the, this stuff, actually. So as uh, as a former missionary, uh, you know, I was sent, <laughs> so to speak, to Thailand um, from from an organization that had a literal headquarters in Los Angeles. And so, you know, so so that that seemed you know, the way to go. And in some ways I don't have a problem with, you know, people having offices or whatever, but, uh, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is, uh, that even that, that there is a certain element of control that could be behind that. And Paul is saying here, he says, I'm not sent for men. He's saying, I'm not sent from this group of people that has this collective or this collective agenda Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm coming to bring in, you know, thrust, so to speak, on you, like really, like a lot of the other, like that, uh, maybe some of the Jews were doing with the circumcision and mm-hmm. other things. And so that's interesting. So, yeah. And, and scary, um, because it, it really does make the core of the Christian message, the obedient obedience to Christ. Um, we like freedom. But only in measure. We don't really want complete freedom because that that's terrifying. And uh, and yet Paul here in the Galatian letter makes freedom uh, mandatory. And that's what's <laughs> ironic, I think, about the gospel is that, it, you know, you don't just get to be free. You better be free. You must be free. Jesus died to set you free. And how dare you, how dare I succumb, be, be enticed by the offer of, of being a part of the club, uh, which is the, the men aspect, right? I mean, people exert influence on one another generally as because they have sufficient numbers to conform someone to the group. And so he says, I'm, I'm not from men. Or they uh, exert influence on others because they are duly authorized as an individual um, so police officer walks up and it's just one police officer. I, I remember the story from when I worked at UPS, uh, and, uh, 
there are two guys who worked at UPS and, and when one of them was in high school, the other one was a cop and, and when the, so, but, uh, the, the cop, uh, when he was, the guy was like five foot six and, uh, and then the, the high school guy was like a football player and everything. So there's this big football party going on and these really big young guys and this 20 something cop who's five, six walks in and say, guys, break it up, you know? man, that's just not going to work unless this guy has a badge. He is duly authorized. And what people were requiring, I think, from Paul was some sort of bona fides. Here you are. You're just out here in the backwater. You claim to be somebody, but who, who endorsed you? Who's with you in what those What are days? your credentials? Right. It was common to carry kind of a letter of endorsement. And, and you say that this came from Jerusalem and that Jesus is a Judean, uh, that this is a Judean message. And yet nobody in Judea uh, knows you, you know, because Saul's from Tarsus, right? He's not a huge figure there. And, and so people are asking, I mean, Paul in the Corinthian letter says, I don't need a letter from other people. You're my letter. Right. And so that we which, know that there is a reference to that. the power of the gospel to save, exactly. to transform these people. Right. They are right. his credentials. Exactly. And, and so here, but he's not just saying, I don't need a letter. He's saying, you don't need a letter um, because this gospel is essentially a great divorce from human authority um, and from cultural conformity. Um, and this is in a broader context of a conversation we had last time. So not this most recent one. Uh, podcast, but the previous one uh, in this series about clear and present danger that we need to be saved from something that is obvious, right? Uh, if we're going to say the gospel is God's power to salvation, it, we better be able to demonstrate some sort of power. It may be, it must be falsifiable. It must be testable. We've got to be able to have something demonstrable, I guess is the right uh, adjective that I'm looking for. Um, or it's not power. You know, it's just like, I can't just you know, I'm going to turn you into a unicorn, but it's an invisible unicorn and you'll continue to present as a human, you know, and that, wow, that guy's amazing. You know, it's just like, it's nonsense, right? You better grow a horn out of your head and clip clop around. If I say I have the power to turn you into a unicorn, uh, and, and the same, if I say, you know, pow, you're saved and well, no one can see it and it's all the same. And, but you know, someday when Jesus comes back, it'll be obvious, you know, it's like, boom, you know, it's just like, no, that is not power. That may be something else. I don't know what, but if we say it's power, there better be something happen and, and there better be a, an actual clear and present danger that we're dealing with. And so the contention here is that we are saved from human influence. And my further contention is that that is obvious to everybody that we need to be saved from it, whether we acknowledge it or not. And that brings us to Stanley Milgrami. Mm. Yeah. Milgrami. <laughs> Anybody who's been in school and taken a psychology class or a sociology class, maybe more accurately, has heard about Stanley Milgram. Yes, maybe less so now. They did do a, a movie on him that was on Netflix. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think my, my daughter watched it. She talked about it. Yeah, it had one of the Skarsgårds. So if you don't know who they are, mm. I really like them. They're, they're... Which one? The insane clown or the crazy uh, machine? Not the... It must be the insane clown, though. If those are my choices. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not the crazy Viking. Uh, but at any rate, yeah. So, um, he's, so he plays Milgram, uh, whoever the Skarsgård guy is. I don't remember his first name. And then um, Jim Gaffigan, 
is in it. Yeah, so it's worth watching for that it. reason. Yeah, right. Uh, he's not comedic in that one, unfortunately, but he he plays the Confederate. You know, the guy who's like, "Oh, you're shocking me." You know, that's <laughs> if you can see Jim Gaffigan is that there. Really funny, actually. right? <laughs> right. I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, Kent, why don't you bring us up to speed? You said everybody knew, heard about Stanley Milgram. Why don't you bring us up to speed? What did he do for those who haven't taken uh, well, he's got these sociology famous, course? Well, he's got right? these famous experiments. Uh, is that, are you talking about point number two? or? Well, no, I'm talking about still point number one. Let's just, let, it's off book, but tell us who he is and what did he study? Oh, people. well, goodness. I mean, he, he's just got the famous experiments uh, where you do you, someone, someone comes into a room, they're being told uh, that this is a controlled experiment and they're being told to provide these shocks to the person in the other room and they continue to do so. I don't remember all the details, but people mm -hmm. do these terrible things seemingly to other people right. just because there's a guy in a white lab coat who says it's okay. This is all part of the experiment. Yeah. We must continue, he said. You know, the guy in the lab coat, and the, the person who is who's actually in the experiment, who's actually administering supposedly these shocks, who they're not. There's a confederate in there who's there shouting and yelling and please, you know, I have a heart condition and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then finally falls silent because he's been shocked to death and they just keep shocking him. 65% um, of everybody who went through that experiment, housewives and, you know, CEOs and bankers and blue collar workers, 65% without regard for demographic all went to lethal shocks um, under the behest without any threat of harm having been paid in advance that was and in, that was intentional right it's like oh thanks for coming here's your money right uh, total freedom to just walk out the door and not participate but because someone at Yale University in a white lab coat says we and simply said we must continue yeah the experiment must go on they're sitting there, man. They're wriggling. They're sweating. They're nervous laughter, but they continue to administer the shocks. Mm -hmm. um, and so Milgram, I, I think, demonstrated that humans, um, we are very, very susceptible to authority. Uh, and in his book, Obedience to Authority, where he kind of outlines the results of this, he, he brings up that there's some other influence as well, and he names it as conformity. And I bring that up because here's a social scientist from the 1960s who has no reason to, I doubt he's read the Galatian letter. He's a Jewish guy, uh, Jewish atheist agnostic, uh, who obviously is not a biblical scholar. And yet he, he talks about how in a discussion of authority, we have to distinguish it from conformity. And he talks about Solomon Ash. Solomon Ash was another a uh, social scientist, psychologist who studied conformity. And if you're familiar with his work on um, these lines, right, he'd, he'd bring people in and you know, he had six Confederates and you're supposed to say which of these three lines is like the example line that's up on, you know, the whatever it was that's on display. And uh, so all the Confederates say, well, it's line number two. And it was obviously line number three. But, mm -hmm. you know, finally, the person in the experiment just is like, yeah, number two. Uh, right. They just go in along. order to conform. Right. And so which demonstrated that humans are very susceptible to conformity. Right. Uh, and Milgram makes the point uh, later that he says that people tend to attribute their behavior to authority like, well, I was just following orders um, and Nuremberg trials. What came out was that, you know, here are these people who participated in, in a genocide and they were disaffected. They weren't they didn't regret anything they did. And people thought, man, this, this person must truly be a monster. These people must all be just the whole country of sociopaths. And, and what 
Milgram demonstrated was is that these people had made a shift, that they really weren't the ones doing it. They were simply, you know, under just control of somebody else, mm -hmm. right? And so people would say, well, I did it because I was following orders. But people don't tend to attribute, it, attribute their behavior to conformity. I remember uh, Walmart, I don't know if they still have this, but they had a, kind of a questionnaire that was a part of their uh, hiring process. And one of the questions was, do you see yourself as a conformist? <laughs> I think it was an honesty test, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Because what are you going to say? You know, no, I'm actually really hard to deal with. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a rebel. I, I like to cut against the grain. I mean, do employers want that person? Well, no. But do they actually see themselves as conformists? I mean, does anybody see themselves as a conformist? Uh, I, I, I've heard of one person, actually, my daughter, Christina, she went to school with a, with a girl who's like, you know, I've just decided that it's best just to go along with everybody. <laughs> you know? it's, it's like, why, why try to be an outsider? You know, why, why not just, instead of making moral decisions, just agree, agree with everybody's, you know, with the majority. And, and that's good. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's really honest and, and terrible. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, nobody wants to be that. But all that to say is, is that, that the fact that we are, um, held or that we are somehow being shaped and manipulated by these external forces is a clear and present danger if we do care to become the actual individual we're supposed to be, that our souls are, are being threatened by these external forces. Does that lead us to point number two? I think so. Authority and conformity work in tandem to ensure that nobody escapes their grip. Well, I was going to, yeah, I was already kind of going down the trail in my head. I'm like, yeah. well, if these factors or these dynamics are at work and they're undermining, uh, you know, uh, our ability to really follow <laughs> heaven instead of earthly control, I'm like, wait, but that happens all the time, even yeah. as a church. Especially in the church, maybe. <laughs> Now, why so would it be like, true that, 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 that it might especially be true in the church? Is that because the church uh, conceives of itself as having this uh, purpose or goal to get people to um, uh, be moral people? It's like for the right reasons, right? You're in the group of good people. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the group of good people. You don't want to disagree with the good people, do you? We're the redeemed. We're the called of God. Your pastor, he has an anointing, right? Mm -hmm. You better do what he says, right? That to disobey him is to disobey God. So you just made a reference on the one hand to cultural conformity, on the other hand to human authority. They're both there. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why Paul goes back into his own um, history to, to talk about how. That's how he used to live. How he used to live, right. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Mm -hmm. That's a reference to cultural conformity. Yes. Well, and, and that's what I've kind of broken out his short autobiography from Galatians 1, 13, I think. Uh, he, and we talked about this, I think, in a previous episode where um, we kind of dismantled this, this thing and talked about some of the influences, the interpersonal influences. But, but what, we, what we failed to appreciate, and I think why Paul was immune to... Uh, the kind of church that we tend to default to was because he'd already been in one. Um, he was already with the good people. He was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And he, as a Jew looked at themselves and in comparison with the, the pagan orgies going on, right? And, and they're just like, man, I'm glad I wasn't born a pagan. You know, I'm glad I'm not a Gentile. So thankful to be one of God's chosen people. And yet 
that thinking in and of itself becomes godless. It becomes ungodly. It becomes an affront to God and to his righteousness and his grace, ironically. And yet, how do we get out of it, right? And so when Paul talks about his previous way of life, he said previous way of life in Judaism, and to my mind, this, this tribalist narrative, it, it is about conformity, right? You know, if, if I'm sitting in Razorback Stadium and I start going, how long am I going to do that by myself? Right. You know, if I, if I start the wave, right. We all know how we're supposed to behave in certain settings because we're part of a subset of people, a subculture and religion becomes that subculture that's now alienated. And we all have to just get along and be the same because that's an insider uh, mentality and it's comforting. Isn't it? To just, just, you know, Hey, I may be alienated from the world, but at least I got this, these people. I fit in here and I belong here. Right. Well, that, you know, my, my wife's family are, are Catholic mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not, but if I, if I go visit them and we go, I'll go to mass together and everyone's, you know, stands together at the same time, I'm going to stand up because nobody wants to be that one person that sticking out like a sore thumb. Right. Yeah. Unless you're my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Jaden's graduation, right? This the whole the whole class and this music's playing. I guess it's important to the class, and everybody is swaying in unison. And there's this one gigantic stick in the mud. <laughs> I didn't feel like playing right then. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how dad. to help you guys. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I'm listening to your. I, I screwed you up, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, this previous way of life in Judaism that there's a way to be Jewish. And, and that Paul was like, I, I just was in it. I was a part of it. He was of men. And, the, and then he says, how intensely I persecuted the church of God to destroy it. And, and, I, and I cite Acts 9 because Paul didn't just decide by himself to go after. He went and got letters. Yeah, from right? the Sanhedrin. From the Sanhedrin. He got official so sanction like to go and yeah, to, to be an authorized officer of the Sanhedrin, of the priestly enforcers to go and, and, and arrest these people. This isn't just... They made me mad and I got a two by four and I carved a handle on it and I started whacking people in the back of the head. This isn't vigilante justice. This is official state sanctioned um, persecution. Uh-huh. And so here's human authority at work. He's, he's, he's pathologizing his previous way of life. He's saying, how did I get to the point where I was hunting God's people to kill them? Oh, I know. I was listening to the good people. That's where it leads. That's why we need to be saved from it. It's because, look, if you did good because everyone around you was doing good, it doesn't make you good, right? And you're just as likely to do bad if you're convinced, if the duly authorized authority. I mean, and, and that was the purpose of Milgram's experiments. He was like, how can we keep the Holocaust from happening again? I mean, you know, he's coming off, it's 1963, right, these experiments. And so he's, it, the, the whole Holocaust thing was really, was recent and Milgram was Jewish. So he's asking, what happened? What went wrong? And it wasn't that these were bad people. It, it was that people abdicated their own moral center to someone else. But they had been abdicated all along. It wasn't something new. Um, and so... He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, my own people. Obviously, you know, there's this, there's this comparison that we get into, right? 
drives this. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Uh, so here's somebody with, with the, that can speak with authority because they're dead, I guess. Um, and so, and then Paul says, yeah, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And it's important to emphasize that word still. He's not just saying he who attempts to please people may not, cannot be a servant of Christ. That's probably true. But he's, but in the immediate context, he's saying my way of life previously, though I said I was a religious person, though I believed in an invisible creator in the sky, I was living under a desire to please other people. And that was my God. And Paul's just saying, when that's the case, even if you claim to be a serious Christian, even if you've been through all the rituals and initiation, you've been trained and mentored by the right people, none of that is a safeguard against becoming, you know, a megalomaniacal monster <laughs> and, uh, you know, a persecutor of the church and a, and, a, and a murderer of God's people that you're capable of all of that, uh, even though you're under all the right influences. And that's why we need to be saved. So, you want to give us mm. the point number three? Yeah. Even if we could escape the double bind, we'd be no better off. Mm. Double bind being cultural conformity, human authority. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and just to revisit that double bind, just in case it's not clear. So, let's say that there's a, a teenager who is tired of being under his tyrannical parents, and he decides he's just going to go off the rails or she's just going to go off the rails, right? Well, what does she do? She or he immediately falls into a subculture of folks that are also off the rails, <laughs> you know? And then those people become the, their referent. You, you just jump out of one prison into another. Uh, and the degree to which somebody is adverse to authority generally means that they are dependent on conformity. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're all subject uh, in, in percentages. Mm -hmm. So cultures, all, all the countercultural movements are sure. really just a different set of norms right. to conform to. Right. Yeah. Despair.com, if you're familiar with demotivator, demotivator posters, uh, had this one great de uh, demotivator says conformity. The more people are free to do as they please, the more they imitate one another, um, which is true, I think, and uh, really uh, insightful. But uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Honor shame cultures tend to not need as much law enforcement. Because they have the conformity to keep them in line. Right. Whereas we're a more individualistic society, we have less conformity. Therefore, we need more authority. We do, yeah. We, we are really a more violent society. We are, yeah. So we're a more litigious and uh, police-oriented society. Exactly, Yeah. So the you know the more fractured your society is, the more you need police presence, you need um, control from above. So all that to say is that there is this this tandem work. So where Milgram got sixty five percent compliance and the Nazis got a hundred percent, well, why is that? Well, because Milgram excluded conformity from his from his work. You bring in conformity, you get the other thirty five percent. Everybody is a slave. You know, back to the matrix, right? <laughs> what, is the, what is the truth? What is the, you know, that you are a slave, Neo. The matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes. It's more true, I think, than the Wigowskis knew. Um, and so that's what we need to be saved from. We, we need to be saved if you really hope to become an individual soul. 
in this world, you need to be saved. Um, and, and where are you going to be saved from? The world, everything around you, you know. It's kind of like if you were born in a sewer and you lived in a sewer and everybody you knew was in a sewer and the sewer had these incredible high walls and you decide, you know, hey, I, I need to get cleaned up here. And, you, you know, and you, so you reach down, you get some water and you start washing your hair, you know. <laughs> Are you getting cleaner? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> there has to be something. If, if your very environment is the hazard that you need to be freed from, where do you, where do you get free? Right. And so that's why just revisiting that double bind before we close it, I guess. Um, but even if we could escape, we would be no better off, right? I'm going to click this if we need it. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. There we go. Uh, right? You've, you've dropped the ball on your, on your clicking. Moving to the next point? Yeah. Well, this is a Milgram quote. You want to you read that one for Top us? left, the political state? Yeah. The political state exists to uphold a class-divided and settler Oh, wait, wait. I lied. I lied. I'm sorry. Mm. We'll Start over. Cut that out. This is actually, this, uh, go back one on your clicky click. Okay. Um, so this is actually from, um, does anybody know any anarchists? Have you met any, do you know any people who are anarchists? Not personally. No. Not personally? No, I, I do actually. I, I, I know a few, a few anarchists and they're in, incredibly intelligent. Probably the anarchists I know are in 99th percentile of, of IQ. Who's that guy on YouTube? Um, Noam Chomsky. He's sort of the yeah. famous anarchist, right? Yeah. 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 So Noam Chomsky would be one, but, but there are a lot of people who follow it, you know, and it's kind of this, this idea that if we could tear down the authority structures that we could finally achieve some sort of, of egalitarian society. Um, man, that I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but, uh, this, this quote from the anarchist website and anarchist website, it really points out that um, you don't need the Bible to know that human authority and cultural conformity, or at least human authority in their case, is a clear and present danger. And so um, that's the point that I'm, I'm really making is that the anarchists see the threat. Um, Unabomber, uh, for, for all of his failings, I guess, wasn't entirely wrong in, in his diagnosis of uh, human society and the fact that we were losing our humanity to technology um, and to kind of this legal, these prescriptives, uh, if you've ever seen, and I haven't read uh, um, Bundy, or not Bundy, what was his name? Kaczynski's total manifesto. But um, in, there's a, there was a show on Netflix uh, that, that talked about him and, and had him in it. And um, he, you know, the brilliant guy. I mean, you know, he entered Harvard at 16 years old and, and really kind of saw what was wrong with the world. And he makes this case that if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you stop at a red light, you're not really making decisions anymore. Um, and um, so there's this moment, this kind of iconic moment in the show where the guy who's investigating him is out in the country at a red light sitting here stopped. You know, mm -hmm. nobody's coming from either direction, but he's sitting there because the light is red. That these symbols had become the new kind of prison to his mind. And so he's not wrong. Anarchists, I don't think, are wrong about what's wrong with the world. Um, it's just that blowing people up is probably not a great response. So how do we get free, right? Um, so we know we need out of authority, but if we get out of it, what happens? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll skip that, that quote, move on. But uh, 
uh, we'll go down to Milgram, I guess, uh, and talk about, you know, Milgram realized that the, that the Holocaust was really attributable to humans obeying authority. And yet he doesn't suggest that we need to cast off human authority in his book. So you want to give us submission to authority. This is Milgram. Submission yeah. to authority is a powerful and prepotent condition in man. Why is this so? Let us begin our analysis by noting that men are not solitary, but function within hierarchical structures. In birds, amphibians, and mammals, we find dominant structures. And in human beings, structures of authority, mediated by symbols rather than direct contests of physical strength. The formation of hierarchically organized groupings lends enormous advantage to those so organized in coping with dangers of the physical environment threats posed by competing species, and potential disruption from within. Boom. So this is all just a product of our survival instinct. Yeah, right. So the forces which threaten our souls exist to preserve our bodies. How do we We've get We've got to have them. Yeah. We've got to have uh, cultural conformity and human authority. We can't live with them. We can't live without them. Yeah. I mean, Jaden probably would favor, you know, acts of physical strength to determine dominance. But, you know, then you start being led by people who are 20 and 30 years old because they kill off us old guys, you know, and you lose that kind of wisdom that, you know, humans, we're not just physically strong. We also have intelligence and wisdom to go off of. So we need, we need that guy in the robes who's well-trained, um, that these symbols of authority which Milgram cites, but also utilized, you know, it's that lab coat. It's the clipboard. Could be anybody. As long as he's got the lab coat and the clipboard, you do what he says, because that's, that's the symbol that tells you, you know, you don't have to fight him for it. Um, and, and that society grinds down. You know, if, if every time two people have a disagreement, we have a cage match to settle who's right, then, you know, society just doesn't do well. Uh, we need somebody to arbitrate, don't we? Uh, and so... The idea of, uh, of anarchism, I, I think that they correctly diagnosed the problem, but there, I've yet to see any, any good recommendations for a solution other than just Pollyanna crazy notions that, you know, if we could do away with the uh, powers that be, we would all get in a circle and hold hands and sing songs and, you know, stupidity, uh, because what we would do is that sooner or later, the more dominant person would begin to assert their will over others. And you would begin to have this kind of a Lord of the Flies experience. And I don't think anybody really wants that. So, um, but go ahead. All right. Does this lead to the next point? Yeah. The dynamics of control, though corruptible, are inherently benign. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, and that's the, you know, why, why do we have authority? I, Milgram is going from a purely evolutionary standpoint that we, you know, we had to evolve to do this. But from a biblical standpoint, uh, Paul would say these things are here. They're given by God. Right. Um, and so he, he has this whole section in Romans, uh, in Romans 12 and 13, where he tells us to, you know, to keep in mind that uh, that the world around us has a sense of right and wrong and good and bad, and that we should be mindful of that and conform to it as we can. And that part of that is to submit to authority. Right. Wait, so <laughs> I'm supposed to submit to authority. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
exactly. And and we'll we'll get to the specifics of of what that means. Yeah. Um. But yes, what maybe what needs to be said at this moment is is that Christianity exists. We acknowledge the existence of two tiers of life, two stories. On, if you imagine on a building, there's the the realities of of this world that that we were born into of the fallen world, and then there's the kingdom of God, and that we are called to live in the grace of God in this upper echelon. But we also must be aware of that lower tier, and and so. And I think this is what people miss when they begin to mix their politics and their religion is, is that there's just no floor. They just have a vaulted ceiling, maybe, and, and that they think, well, these, these lofty realities ought to force the government to, to you know, legislate Christian morality. And that's, just, that's asinine from a New Testament perspective. That there must be that partition. So two floors. The first floor is we could call it. That's just how the world works. Yeah. But the second floor is this is how we've been uniquely called to follow. Right. <laughs> to live out our 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 particulars of faith because right. we are call ourselves Christian. Yeah. So. Right. So we you don't, we don't mix those two as if they were the same floor, but we recognize that there's a there's a dynamic uh, elementary principle at work on this kind of basic level, right? Right. So uh, the person who just is aware of, and most people who live on their first floor are only aware that there's one floor, and that's why it's the proclamation of the gospel and it is faith that um, gets us up out of that, and that's the same state is to be up on the second floor. Okay. In the kingdom. And in the kingdom. Paul says, I am amazed that you have so quickly deserted him who called you to live in the grace of Christ, right, for another gospel. So there's, a, there's an echelon, and Paul calls it the grace of Christ, okay? Um, and, and, but that echelon is only available to those who have faith. Because then he gets into Galatians chapter 5, and he says, if you submit to circumcision, you're, you're obligated to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ and you've fallen from grace. Well, doesn't that suggest an upper echelon? You've fallen from grace? So law exists on the first story, law of all kinds, okay? But law is there to account for and to, to mitigate and to channel these dynamics of control, okay? Laws don't exist to curtail authority. I mean, to curtail people or to advance authority. They are there to curtail the authority themselves. Okay, because a despot, a, tyr a tyrant has tons of authority, but it, without it being under some sort of prescriptive control, the, the people have no hope, right? So totalitarian dictatorships, you know, are really not under, under the rule of law. That's lawlessness, and nobody yeah, wants the rule that. Of man. Yeah. Right, nobody wants that. So laws are there to kind of curtail that. God gave a law. If God gave a law and law begins on the first story, where did God's people live? Until Christ came on the first floor, on the first floor, <laughs> right? Which is why Paul is telling the Galatians, don't submit to the law. It's on the first floor. You know, you, you jump right up. It lasted, but now faith has come. Exactly. We, he says now, he says that in the Galatians, now faith has come. Right. You're right. On the second floor now. Exactly. Yeah. So, but we have to understand that these laws are there to, to help humankind in that they, they alleviate that oppression. Aggressive 
reign of a totalitarian dictatorship that 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 they're there to account for these dynamics and to somehow control them that 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 authority and conformity it, it keeps your neighbor from coming over and shooting you and taking your wife yeah you know uh and so aren't you glad that it's there so some law, laws have a purpose it preserves uh our a certain sense of well-being preserves our society from destroying each other um uh, but it's not the floor right <laughs> you're talking about Right, right. And because that's that's the de facto state of existence that it doesn't require faith to live by. Yeah. Paul says that the law is not of faith is evident in this, that the one who does these things will live by them. Now, if you were a Jew in the first century or any time and, and you are keeping up with the Ten Commandments, you're doing so partially, at least, because you think, hey, there's a God in the sky and he doesn't like this. But you're also doing so because the people around you are doing so. And, and how do you know the, the difference? And you're really not living by faith. And a lot of people's Christianity is not by faith, just frankly. And mine, much of the time, may not be, you know. Sometimes, you know, why, why do I write sermons? Is it because I'm just really fully in love with God or I don't want to be fired? <laughs> yeah, that's something, it's a choice I have to make. But, but the requirement is that I do it by faith and not that I just do it. Um, and, and so that's, that's the difference. It's like two people can obey the, the powers that be one person does it in faith. He's living in the second tier. The other person does it in fear. He's living in tier one. Well, is this like where Paul says to slaves, he says, serve as unto the Lord. Yes. Yeah. So he's saying, you look, your status as a slave, that's a floor number one status. Right. But you can, uh, and you can own up to the fact that you are living in this world as a slave. That's in floor number one, but you can rise to another level and do it as unto the Lord. Right. Right. And not just that you can, but you must, if you claim to be living by faith and, and that that changes everything. And it's that we're doing the exact same thing, but we're doing it with a different flavor, uh, that there's an aroma here. And that's the difference I think between the gospel, so, you know, in, in, the old, in the old way of thinking, you have to be actually physically doing something different to be changed. But in the gospel dynamic, you can be in the exact same circumstance, fulfilling the exact same function and smell and taste different. You know, that there is a, um, a joy. Now, when I was at UPS, I, I tried to learn this and there I was probably unsuccessful most of the time. But there were times when I really did embrace this truth of, of just living in the second story, even though my feet were down on floor one. Okay. And I remember one time that, that you know, man, we were being slammed. We're, we're working in, in this assembly line kind of situation. There's this belt, there's these packages and all this is coming. It's chaos. And, you know, people are cussing and screaming and, you know, and all this. And, um, and this guy, he's, he's way down the belt and, and I hear him yell my name, you know. He's like, Nate, and they call me Nate at UPS because nobody has time to say two syllable name. And anyway, um, and he said, Nate, and he, and he takes his box and he just throws it down. And he says, is it because you're a Christian? Is that why you're happy here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just like, man, I couldn't have scripted a better uh, you know, opportunity here. But again, most of the time it was, hey, you're really kind of edgy here. But, but there were times when I, I got it. Mm-hmm. And God wasn't going to have me leave there. I, I, sometimes we think, well, if we find enough dissatisfaction in our current employment, that God will change our circumstances. That won't happen. He wants you to learn to be thankful. If you don't, you're going to stay in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't just promote people through. 
<laughs> you get you get to stay in kindergarten until you learn to be happy with your kindergarten teacher and your ABCs and all that, and then then you can move on, you know. And, and so, uh, all that to say that the difference is that we we live in a tier two mindset mentality, even as our feet are still in tier one. But we have to be aware of tier one. We can't just be like, well, I'm a Christian and I don't care about your man-made laws. Man, that is stupid. You know, that is not true. I do care about the man-made laws because I don't want people to suffer. You know, um, I, I, I'm happy that you people are keeping your laws. I don't need them. Mm -hmm. Your laws don't. They don't. I don't, do, I don't do what's good and right because it's the law. Galatians I'm, chapter 5, hear the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things there is no law. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, our next point is we can't escape the dynamics of control on our own because they are the elementary principles of the world. Yes, this is, I go Bible geek on this one. So we're about. That's a Pauline phrase for people who don't know it. Uh, that's something you see uh, occasionally in the letters of Paul. He'll refer to the yeah. elementary principles of the world. Yeah, he refers to them uh, really three times, I think, twice here in Galatians 4 and then once in Colossians 2. There may be others, so y'all correct me if, if you're out there and you're a Bible scholar or you just have a concordance. Um, <laughs> but and, and there's been a lot of debate about what it means, um, but I, I think it's probably important to read Galatians 4, 1 through 3, keeping in mind that the Galatians were pagans, right? They weren't Jews. Most of the Galatians who'd come to Christ, the whole point is, is that someone was trying to force them to be circumcised, which means that they weren't previously, you know. Um, and so, uh, and yet he kind of lumps everybody in together here. In Galatians 4, he says, uh, do you want to? He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, this is an, like a, an analogy he's using. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Right. So, you know, what is something that is um, benign and enslaving, <laughs> right? Mary Poppins. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nanny McPhee. Mm -hmm. Benevolent dictator. <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and he's saying, look, the, the element that there are these elementary principles of the world that enslaved us, even though we were destined for nobility, uh, for rulership. I, uh, we're watching the, uh, well, we just almost finished the series Gotham on Netflix. And, uh, and so here's Bruce Wayne, right? Little Bruce Wayne. He's like 14 years old when we meet him in the Gotham series, 13. And poor Alfred is both his employee and his guardian, <laughs> you know, and, and there's this power, power dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce is like, I don't have to do what you say. You work for me, you know? And, and, and uh, Alfred's like, well, actually you do have to do what I say because I'm the grown up and I'm in charge of you. And, and it's all back and forth, but Bruce Wayne owns, owns all of it, right? He owns Wayne enterprises. He owns uh, Wayne manor and everything. Wayne, he's the trust fund billionaire superhero that um, is some, Snot-nosed kid. Mm -hmm. And and what Paul is saying is, is that humanity before the coming of Christ, we were Bruce Wayne. And the law was Alfred. And um, we had to do what Alfred said, even though Alfred works for us. So does that make sense? Does that all work for you if you're Batman fans? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> 
So uh, Alfred, in this case, is the elementary principles of the world. So does anybody look at Alfred and say, man, what a horrible human being, you know, what a, what a monster. We, we see Alfred as a good guy. But Alfred, Alfred's going to keep Bruce Wayne from becoming Batman, right? We got to become Batman. Uh, and so we, we have to get away from Alfred at some point. We have to, we have to uh, graduate past Alfred or we won't be Batman. Uh, and so... Man, I just went way too far down that rabbit hole. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good analogy. <laughs> but the elementary principles of the world are these things that Paul says we have to be free from, but they were things that and are things that are necessary for those who don't live by faith. And I would contend that the elementary principles of the world are authority and conformity. They could be other things. Okay, uh, I, I don't have the exhaustive list, but what I am saying is, is that um, that this Greek phrase, uh, the stoikeia to cosmu, um, these, these pillars, these foundational tenets of the cosmos are, were, were put in place by God, mm -hmm. <laughs> that they're, they're, they're there to keep us on the rails, but that their function is keeping us on the rails also endangers us because they become a vehicle for corruption. Um, and because we're in a fallen world, they're always polluted to some degree. Yeah, I heard somebody say, they used this phrase earlier, I think, uh, one way to put it is when people say, well, that's just how the world works. Right. Yeah, and we use that as an excuse a lot of times for a lot of different behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I even hear, you know, sometimes the church of Christians justify murky, <laughs> murky justifications under, well, that's just how the world works. You know, th this is just how politics works. This is just how, you know, government works. And, and as if well, that may be true, but uh, does that mean that we conform to those standards? Right, right. And, and the exact opposite would be the case if we follow Paul's gospel. If Paul's gospel says you are set free from the elementary principles of the world, you're called to live in the grace of Christ, that... Just because you continue to claim to be following Christ, but you're operating according to the way the world works, that you have renounced your salvation. I'm sorry I can't say it any Whoa, nicer. No. What? I'm not. If you've been if you've been saved from the way of the world, and and yet your behavior is generated from, motivated by the way of the world, you just said, "Hey, this blood. Thanks for setting me free, but I'm going back to Egypt." Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, it's diseased. Yes, we account for the way of the world for the sake of the world. In the church, that does not belong, ever. And I think that that's, it's so critical to know this because the church tends to operate according to the way of the world. Why? Because the way of the world works. It works. You can leverage it. You can manage it. These principles, man, we've been trafficking in them, in them our whole lives. They are the media, man. We're just slapping them on the canvas and... And, and we think that we're masters of them. And those who truly master them become world leaders. They become powerful dictators, uh, founders of religious organizations. Um, you you want to really find the way of the world at work? Become a Mormon. Become a, a Scientologist. There, there's top-down authority that is unassailable, unquestioned. Everybody has someone who has un questioned authority over them. The wife and the children have the dad. The dad has the ward, you know, has the bishop. The bishop has the stake president. The stake president, everybody has authority over them. And you get there and you...
go to church one week in your, you know, in your day wear, and the next week you go, by week three, they're taking you shopping. If you're a woman, you're going to get a dress. If you're a man, you're getting a white button-down shirt and a tie and slacks. Conformity is built in. It's why the Mormon church works, even though it's predicated on laughable lies. I, I don't want to be overly negative, but I also don't want to leave any room for anybody to think that the Mormon church is anything but a demonic cult. Um, mm. But yep. all that to say is, is that when you find those at work, you find the antithesis of Jesus. You find an, find an antichrist spirit. And if your church is really big into lines of authority and you sign, signing some covenant and indemnifying yourself somehow to the leadership and to the group, run. Or at least stay there and undermine the crap out of it. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, that, that, that Christianity is the ultimate freedom movement and we must be free. And so Paul in Galatians 5, he says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Stand firm, therefore, in freedom. We must be aware of that, you know. So this call to submit yourself to the authorities is purely the action of love toward Christ. You know, if I can submit to authority for, for Jesus' sake, then I can submit to authority. If I can't submit to authority for Jesus' sake, I can't submit to authority. Hmm. So I think you've gone through point, this next point. The elementary principles of the world mm -hmm. are the clear and present danger. Yeah. And I think we're pretty well done. Uh, just an aside. So recently, this Greek phrase, just for you, you Bible geeks or whatever, the, the stoicheia to cosmo, the, the Greek phrase, has, has been um, understood as angelic powers, spiritual angelic powers that rule over quadrants of human existence. Um, so the NIV translates this phrase as the elemental spiritual forces instead of the elementary principles of the world elemental spiritual forces of the world. And um, I would say that I, I disagree with that. And I just want to go on record for that. Just to, in case you read the NIV and you're like, wait, that this, this, and you think that that's authoritative in some way, it's not. Um, I want us to understand, and, and this is in Galatians 4, 8 through 9. I think this is probably the best evidence I have that it's not the elemental spiritual forces because Paul says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Okay, the Galatians were pagans, okay? They became Christians and now they wanted to be Jews. And Paul is saying, you were under the elementary spiritual forces of the world, you're free of them, and now you want to go back to them. Mm -hmm. So the exact same slave masters that they had as pagans were going to be over them again as Jews. Yeah, the, uh, the forces that work in pagan society and the forces that work in Jewish society are both alike the elementary principles of the world. Right, they certainly are not the same elemental spiritual forces. Right. And so that's, that's what I want us to understand, that, that, that interpretation, that understanding of the Stoicheia to, to Cosmo, it, it can't be that these are the elemental spiritual forces or demonic powers, because that would be to say that the Jews are under demonic powers as they're being faithful Jews, which isn't, doesn't seem to corroborate anywhere in Scripture. But it, it is very clear from what Paul is saying throughout Galatians that you can be a Jew and be under human authority and cultural conformity. And it's that those, if those are your masters as a Jew and they're your masters as a pagan, you're just going right back to the same masters if you leave freedom in the gospel. 
Perfect place to end. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. That was a heady one. If you made it to the end, we're glad you were here with us. And if you have questions, you want to dialogue over this, email us at discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. One one discussion. (laughs)